Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I'm your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll find all of my work for Hoops Habit, where I cover the Houston Rockets, and uh, my work on 16 Wins a Ring, where I cover the NBA, both writing and, of course, this podcast, which is on the 16 Wins a Ring podcast network. Today's episode of 94 Feet Report on March 17th will actually be recorded on, on March 16th at night with a familiar guest, Alex Baropoulos, will be back on the show in his first time since December. We'll dive into playoff seedings and predictions, um, whether we like offense versus defense more. Um, of course, talking about award frontrunners as we do with every guest on the show, getting down to the uh, stretch run of the regular season, um, and then talk about some coach firings and potential rumors there. Just want to remind you... Um, the show will be uh, soon, hopefully, brought to you by SeatGeek. We're in discussions about getting some kind of a sponsorship right there. Um, but in the meantime, you can check my Twitter as, a, as for a special SeatGeek link to get all of your favorite tickets and help out the show at the same time. So use SeatGeek, a really great app that collects all these tickets from different sellers and gives them a rating for how good they are based on their price and their location in the arena. So you can get your uh, NBA regular season and playoff season uh tickets on SeatGeek and help out the show at that same time. So in just a bit, we'll be joined by Alex Sparopoulos to talk some NBA basketball. We are now joined by Alex Sparopoulos. Alex, how are you doing today? Good, Eric. I'm glad to be back on the show. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's a big return for Alex, who was last on the show, I think, in December. Um, all right, let's get into it. We're going to have a, we have a pretty wide variety of topics on today's episode of the 94 Feet Report, and we're going to start off with something completely kind of unrelated to this season, kind of a general NBA topic, kind of an, an opinionated topic. For sure. Um, my question to you is, what's more enjoyable to watch? Great offense or great defense? I think in my opinion, I think for me, great offense uh, definitely takes the win in that ca- in that competition. Um, you know, just when you think about what makes NBA exciting for me, you know, I think about the clutch shots. I think about the big dunks. I think about the ball movement, the passing, you know, all that sort of stuff that goes into making, you know, an efficient offense, an exciting offense. Um, and those are the teams that tend to sort of draw well and sort of are become fan favorites are the, um, the, the, the great offensive teams. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that kind of as a team, like looking at teams' perspective, I think that great offenses are more enjoyable. I mean, if you ask the average fan, what would you rather watch, a Utah Jazz game or a Houston Rockets game? Because the Warriors are actually like number one in both offense and defense. It's kind of right. cheating. But uh, most people would choose the Rockets or a high-powered offense because it's just more exciting. Um, and that's what people, you know, a lot of people, especially casual fans, like more. Um, but I'd say that, I mean, for me personally, I, I think I love defense more than the average fan. Um, well, I mean, I, I love defense, you know, it's not like the thing I like the most. I rather like an exciting offense as a team, but I do like enjoying watching in great defense, especially when you're talking about individual defense. There's nothing, I don't think I like anything more than watching someone, you know, just say, you know what, I'm going to go into a lockdown mode and I'm going to lock this player down for the next like five ten minutes and they lock them down like a Kawhi Leonard uh, even Draymond Green who can guard basically anyone um, I think I like that more on an individual level but as a team I enjoy watching offense more I have to agree with you yeah nothing against like the the you know great defense but I think that in terms of like you know for excitement levels I think watching like a guy score like 70 points is more exciting than a guy shut down like you know if, like Kawhi were to shut down LeBron one night I think it would be more exciting to watch like I don't know, like James Harden score 70 than to watch Kawhi like sort of shut down LeBron and LeBron only score like six points or something like that. So Yeah, and that's the thing with today's NBA though. It's like those defensive performances just don't get as, as acknowledged as much by casual fans because it's kind of harder to appreciate someone playing really good defense compared to someone because obviously you know when someone's playing really good offense. 
offense. But when it comes to someone playing good defense, you're not sure exactly who's doing it. Maybe it's LeBron missing shots, or maybe it's actually right. Kawhi being in his head or doing really good defense. There's also like the fact of like there's not a, like unless unless you're looking at like advanced metrics, like there's not a lot of stuff to in terms of like like statistics to follow. So you can go look up and see that, you know, Russ is leading the league in scoring, but you don't see that, you know, maybe Draymond Green's, um, you know, opponent field goal percentage is like 37%, which is amazing. But like that, you know, people are like, oh, he, his, you know, people he's guarding just miss shots as opposed to like, oh, Russ is scoring all those points himself. Yeah. So like it, there's not like a metrics to like catch on with the fans and like for tracking and sort of like following along in, in terms of like, for fan guidance. Yeah, and that's the thing that people uh, often talk about. There's no real true advanced way to measure defense. There are a lot of defensive metrics, like uh, defensive box plus minus, defensive real plus minus, defensive win shares, but there's always something slightly wrong with each of those numbers. Defensive rating has a lot of, has a lot wrong with it. Um, meanwhile, offense, there are, you know, offensive win shares, it's easier to kind of evaluate offense, you know, at an advanced metric rate. Um, and even traditional stats, you, you know, you got points, you even got assists, you know, you can look at your shooting percentages for offense. Defense, uh, do not look at steals um, as a way to measure defense because, you know, obviously Steph Curry left, led the league in steals last year. He's not yeah. a good defender. Um, you know, you'll get the good defenders like Trevor Reza, Kawhi Leonard are, are up there in steals, but those oftentimes the leaders aren't even good defenders. This guy who goes for steals. Exactly. Blocks is usually, you know, big guys who defend the rim, which makes sense, makes sense why they have the, the most blocks in the league, but that's a pretty good defensive uh, stat. But I guess my follow-up question is um, looking at a kind of individual case, which are, which are your favorite teams or players to watch on both sides of the ball. I think that um, in terms of offensively, I think I like to watch the Warriors, obviously. Um, they're very exciting offense, and I think one and two, so Rockets are very exciting offense as well. Um, and then on the individual player level, I think um, watching Russell Westbrook, you know, I'm a Thunder fan, but also Westbrook is like one of the most exciting players to watch in terms of offensive, you know, his explosiveness and just the ability to sort of say, wow, he made that shot or he did that or he, he you know he got that board and then ran the entire he ran the court and then dunked it in like I think that's a very impressive thing that you can't necessarily say that a lot of people do um, and then in terms of you know Rockets and you know Warriors the ball movement and you know shooting threes a lot of threes high paced offensive uh, games are really entertaining for me what about you I have to agree with you. Obviously, I like watching the Warriors, and I have to I have to say before I uh, reveal who I like watching the most that I probably like three pointers more than anyone else in the world. I actually like three pointers more than dunks, which is probably a, a very I disagree with that, but <laughs> a lot of people do. I think I posted it on Twitter one time. People went crazy about it, but I I don't know what it is. I think I I appreciate a play where you know, four or five guys touch the ball and they swing it around the perimeter to a wide open three, rather than a guy you know in transition giving me a windmill. You know, I don't know. I think that. It's impressive. The windmill is impressive, but I also think that ball movement, everyone being on the same page, knowing when to pass, when to take the shot, and a wide open three, swish to the net, nothing better than three-pointers. So, obviously, uh, being a Rockets fan and covering the Rockets, I obviously love watching them. They take the most threes and make the most threes in the league. Uh, they played a pretty fast pace. Warriors played a fast pace. We all know the Warriors, great three-point shooters. I, watch, I love watching them. On an individual level, there's a couple guys on offense that I like watching. Obviously, James Harden, I think his basketball IQ on the offensive end is very unique. Um, taking advantage of, of the rules and, and knowing when to pick his spots. Um, Giannis and Nakupo is, is turned into some kind of one-man wrecking crew, especially on the fast break. Nikola Jokic, I yeah. think a lot of casual fans, when the Nuggets hopefully make the playoffs, a lot of casual fans will be more exposed to Jokic's incredible, incredibly diverse offensive game, hitting threes, behind-the-back passes, no look. He looks like a guy who's out of shape, and he probably is out of yeah. shape. Um, but he's on that list as well. Of course, the rest books. LeBron is an enjoyable as watch uh, as well. Um, Steph Curry is enjoyable too. 
Um, so, you know, obviously, like, the, the traditional guys and then, you know, Giannis and, and Jokic. You know, on, on the other side of the ball, you know, the really great defensive teams, I like watching the Jazz. You know, I liked when, when the Jazz played the Rockets, I really kind of enjoyed how the Jazz, you know, had a game plan to guard the Rockets and, and executed it very well. The Spurs are always a really great defensive team to watch. They're just so disciplined. They know where to be and, you know, what to do in their spots. Um, and they also have great individual defender in Kawhi Leonard. Um, and the Jazz have defensive player of the year candidate Rudy Gobert. Um, but also scrappy teams like the Heat, who are using their defense to win a lot of games recently and, and hopefully make the playoffs for them. Um, those kind of scrappy teams that just give a lot of effort on defense. Patrick Beverly, Tony Allen, um, those guys. I just love giving, you know, saying that you know defense is how I made it in the NBA, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play on the defensive end. You might not, you know, reward me in the box score or on Sports Center, but you know, the people who watch the games will know I made an impact. Yeah, definitely. I I definitely agree with your assessment of like the Spurs and. The Jazz as like two of the best defensive teams to watch. I mean, like you said, they have two very like defensive stalwarts. You know, got Kawhi and also Rudy Gobert. So like those are two guys you can sort of count on to sort of you know lock down their their man the entire game. Um, and also I want to throw in another uh, individual player. I know we mentioned it before, but Draymond Green I think is probably one of the most exciting players to watch. And not only in terms of like what he can do on defensively, but all the fact that he can guard basically almost every position. So I think that it's really interesting if throughout a game you might see him guarding the three, you might see him guarding the four, maybe the five. And then, you know, if he gets switched onto like a point guard or a shooting guard, you know, he can also make plays and, you know, make stops as well when it counts. So I think that's also important. Draymond Green is very, very, very skilled. Yeah, a very opinionated segment, but uh, Alex and I are both in agreement that as, a t- as at the team level, we like watching offense more and then... Um, we both like watching different types of offense and, and, you know, different types of defense and different types of defenders. But we're going to move on to our second uh, segment or topic, and we're going to be t- basically analyzing and predicting the playoff seeding uh, throughout the rest of the regular season with basically about a month to go until the playoff start. I can't believe it's already here, basically. Um, you know, I've got a couple of questions related to the seeding. I know you actually fleshed out your predictions of seedings one through eight in each conference, so we'll dive into that when we get to each question and how it relates. My first question is, with the, will the Spurs catch the Warriors uh, with them being one game back with the Warriors still having KD out for probably another you know two weeks at this at this point um, will the Spurs catch the Warriors by the end of the season I, I think so I think that you know the Spurs were hurt a little bit um, missing LaMarcus Aldridge for a couple of games with his you know heart problem and I think that um, you know given the time that's left and given the way that the Warriors have played you know they're only five and five in their last ten. Um, you know, and they've not been playing well since Durant has left, so something's off with them. I think that one game is very, uh, um, you know, achievable um, gap to close, and in terms of like how many games left, so I definitely think the Spurs are going to be the top seed going into the playoffs. You know, I'm really torn on this because you know they just got Aldridge back and he played yesterday, and KD, as I mentioned, probably two weeks away. Um, and the real question is that you know everyone assumed when KD went down that the Warriors just go back to like last year. But it's not been the case. Curry has been really slumping. You mentioned they're five and five. Curry's shooting percentages—I don't have it in front of me—but I think he's shooting about thirty percent on threes in his past like ten games, which is uh, unheard of for him. Right. So you know, if he gets back to next last year's form for maybe a week, then they become a dominating team. Probably their the schedule isn't that hard. They I think they still match up one more time: Spurs and Warriors in San Antonio. So again, we'll see who actually plays that game, but we don't know at this point, depending on the back-to-backs. Um, you know. As much as I want to say the Spurs will catch them, I have this. I'm still holding out a feeling that Curry will return to somewhat of a of a normal three point shooting level, you know, 40, percent and that's a, a big difference because he misses a couple threes a game. Um, and I think that something about Popovich is telling me that while he wants to get that number one seed, he also will not be, you know, he won't. He's not willing to just 
overwork his players. He's you know he's still resting them pretty regularly at their regular rate. So I'm not. He doesn't. I don't really think I see him as a, as really someone who's really aggressive to get the the first seed. Although it will give him home court advantage yeah. against the Warriors and give him a pretty one eight easy one eight matchup. But you know I'm gonna have to stick with the Warriors just for now. Though it probably by the time this goes up tomorrow, the standings could change and we'll all be wrong. That's but, true. Um, my next question is going to the Eastern Conference. Still looking at the one two kind of matchup. Will the Celtics catch the Cavs with them two games back with about a month to go? Um, I don't think so. I think that, you know, Kevin Love is going to be back soon. I think about a week or so. They said something about being back in a week. And the upcoming road trip. An upcoming road trip. So, um, you know, they're not going to be missing him for too much longer. I think that in terms of having him back is going to make a real difference down the stretch. Um, they have two games up, which is not a, a you know a huge lead, um, but... You know they're not, they're not been playing great well either. But you know that being said, the Celtics are only six and four in the last ten. So like they're not playing fantastic basketball as well. So I think it's a combination of Love back plus you know just rebounding and having him and the Celtics playing iffy basketball. If they can turn it around, maybe. But I think that definitely the the Cavs are going to hold on to the top seed. Yeah, I have to agree with the, with you in thinking that the Cavs will hold on to the top seed. The the only question I have is, you know, how how much, if any, will LeBron be rested over the over the next final month? Maybe a game or two there, which almost surely is a loss for the Cavs. They haven't won with without LeBron this year. They're I think they're zero five. So if he rests, you know, one or two games, those could potentially be two losses right there, and Celtics could make that up right there. But you know, I haven't looked at the schedules for both teams. You mentioned Kevin Love getting healthy, and you know that really kind of depends for all these teams. You know, the Raptors have Kyle Lowry being hurt. Um, the Cavs are getting Kevin Love, the Warriors are Kevin Durant, so, you know, really all matters for the playoffs, especially for these elite teams, really only matters about the playoffs, but, you know, the Celtics don't have the Wizards right behind them a game and a half, so, you know, the Wizards could very well pass the Celtics. The Wizards were in second last week, yeah. and now they're in third, because they've been struggling, but uh, I have to agree with you with the Cavs. Uh, sticking in the Eastern Conference, the race for the bottom seeds are very interesting, actually, so I want to know, you, you flushed out your standings one through eight. Um, give me your Eastern Conference one through eight standings, because my question is, who finishes in that six, seven, eight seeds in the Eastern Conference? So I have my Eastern Conference standings is Cavs first, Celtics second, Wizards third, Raptors fourth, Hawks fifth, Pacers sixth, Pistons seventh, and Heat eighth. So basically, I have the the Bucks dropping out of the playoffs, and I have the Heat, um, Pistons moving up one, and the Heat taking their spot uh, in the eighth seed. Um, I just think the way that the Heat have been playing, I think you mentioned it before, they've been playing really well defensively. Um, they're having some, you know, MVP-like performances from Dragic, I guess, if you would consider the fans to be unbiased. But um, I think that they're playing good basketball when it when they need to be, and I think that's going to be a great uh, momentum that is going to be able to carry them into the uh, into the playoffs. Um, so I have the to recap, I have the Pacers sixth, the Pistons seventh, and the Heat eighth, and the the final three seeds in the East. You know, this is really interesting. I think I think for the teams that I think are going to make it are the Pacers and the Pistons for sure. I'm really deciding between the Heat and the Bucks. You know, every game or basically every day, it seems like it's going to change. Um, you know, the Heat obviously I've, uh, they've uh, they're 23 and 11 since the new year, which is great. But they've actually been better since the middle of January. I think they've been like 22 and six or something, something ridiculous. Um, and they're using that great defense, as I mentioned. To at one point, someone tweeted out yesterday when they were, they were briefly in the eighth seed before the Bucks won last night. Um, that at one point, the Heat were at number two in the lottery race about in, in December, and now they're basically in the eighth yeah. seed, which is incredible. Um, so I, I kind of want to ride with the hot team and go with the Heat, and also kind of they, they kind of not exactly inexperienced with the Bucks, but I think the Heat have more experience. They got a uh, more tested coach in Spolstra. I, th- I think is better than Jason Kidd as a coach, and I think that down the stretch they'll use their defense and their experience, and they're, they're well coached to get the eighth 
seed. So, and, and you know, in the in the order, I don't really know. I'm gonna stick with the Pacers at six, Pistons seven, Heat at eight, um, and then stick with the rest of the conference one through five as it is right now. Um, and now going back to the Western Conference, my final question, and then you know, when you answer, you can give your flushed out Western Conference standings. Is that who's gonna get that eighth seed in the West with a pretty interesting race? So. So I think the Blazers are going to get the eighth seed, and the way I had the West shaking out is got the Spurs first, like I mentioned earlier, Warriors, then the Rockets third, Jazz fourth, Thunder moving up to the fifth seed, Clippers, Grizzlies, and then the Blazers rounding out um, in the eighth seed. Um, I think the Blazers, um, you know, you know, they heard some talk, you know, some crazy talk from Lillard saying that he wants them like make the Western Conference Finals or the Finals, and I think that, um, you know, I think they've been playing better basketball of late. Although I think the Nuggets are a good team you know you ha- like you said before Jokic is very talented he's a very skilled player but I think that in terms of like overall like coaching and sort of the functionality of the Nuggets I don't know if they're going to be able to hold on you know they're only two games ahead um, of Portland um, with about a month to go so I think that something that Portland has the experience Lillard has the ability to sort of you know take it to the next level that he's going to be able to get catch those two games and sort of squeak in in the eighth seed yeah, but before we get to that, it's very interesting you have the Thunder passing uh, the Clippers. It's only a game and a half, and the Clippers are actually, this actually relates to the Nuggets. The Clippers are playing in Denver tonight. They lost last night at home to the Bucks, and they've already decided that they were going to be resting Blake Griffin and Chris Paul tonight. Um, so you can almost guarantee that for a, a loss for them and a, a win for the Nuggets. And that's why I think the Nuggets are going to keep the AC. They're two games up right now. They've won three straight, seven, three in their last ten. You know, I haven't looked at the schedules for both teams, but at this point, I, I, I've tried to believe in Portland too much this season that, that they've let me down you know almost every time I look at the standings I'm like oh Portland will get the AC don't worry Portland, yeah. Portland, don't worry they'll get the AC I always keep looking at the not in the AC because the Nuggets are playing good enough ball and the Portland Trailblazers are, are not at this point you know they're 6-4 and four in the last 10 they're just not getting that kind of great stretch that we thought they were they had a brief game uh, winning streak last week um you know, Nurkic has been a revelation I wrote an article about him for 16 wins ring. you can check it out on my Twitter at Eric Spiros um but he kind of he's kind of settled down a little bit, and of course the defense is still a huge problem. So you know the Nuggets defense is horrible, but they also have had the best offense since January first. Right. So the Blazers haven't had the best offense while they still had a really terrible defense. So for now I'm going to go with the Nuggets, uh, sticking at eighth, just the way it is right now. Um, and I think I'm going to stick with the exact same standings as it is right now, projected uh, one through seven, with the Nuggets grabbing the eighth seed. All right, let's move on to the next segment, a segment that we have basically with every guest on the show um, because. Listeners have already heard my front runners basically every, almost every episode for the past couple of weeks as we get down to the the crunch stretch of these races and the award races. So we're going to dive into each of your award front runners because you haven't been on the show since basically Christmas, so it's been a long time. Yeah. Um. So we're going to dive into rookie of the year, coach of the year, sixth man of the year, defensive player of the year, most improved, MVP, and basically whatever order you want. Um. And you know, just give your front runner and we'll talk about it. Yeah. So we can start off with rookie of the year. Yeah, I think Dario Sarch is going to win rookie of the year. Um. I think that you know he's been having a really great. Um, last couple of weeks, months actually, um, since Embiid has been out, and I think that the re- the reason he's going to win is one, Embiid is hurt and he's missed significant time, and two is the fact that a lot of the other rookie field isn't, you know, it's a, it's a relatively weak field, so he's not. That's having, an understatement. Yeah, he doesn't have that much competition, so I think that he's going to end up being um, the rookie of the year as of now. You know, I was giving it to Embiid basically up until this past week or so when I looked into Sarge, Sarge's performance. Um, you know, the argument against Embiid, he's only going to play 31 games because he's been shut down for the rest of the season. Um, 
and that's just not enough time to play. And then the other, the counter argument is that well, when he played those thirty-one games, he was not only good for a rookie; he was just good for a player right. overall. He was an elite player when he was on the court. Seventy-six had like the best defense in the league when he was playing. When when he was off, they had like the worst defense. Blah blah blah. Great offensive uh, player, a lot of usage, heavy, you know, heavily utilized player. But you know, recently Sarge's play has opened it up and made the rookie of the year race really interesting because in February he averaged seventeen points per game and eight rebounds per game, and then in March he's doing twenty points per game and seven rebounds per game, which are incredible numbers. The yeah. efficiency isn't very good. He's solid defensively. He's not really hitting his threes, but those numbers are great. And really, to win rookie of the year, you have to put up just basically just decent traditional stats: points, rebounds, blah blah blah. Um, you don't have to look at the advanced metrics for rookies because they're not expected to be you know contributing to win. So Sarge has recent has play has made a rookie of the year really interesting. Right now, it actually would give it to him. Uh, even Embiid has, has basically given endorsed him, kind yeah. of dropped out of the race and endorsed him there. Um, so right now I would give it to Dario Sarge. If he falls off the last month, I would probably go back to Embiid just because how good he was in those 31 games. But it's at least it's an interesting race right now, um, which speaking of another interesting race, Coach of the Year has gotten really, really interesting this year. Yeah, I think that Scott Brooks is going to take this one. I think that if you see the the you know the way that the Wizards have been playing, obviously they made some moves in the offseason that helped them compete and improve. But I think that the improvement over last year um, you, you know, you have to attribute that to Scott Brooks, um, you know, to a degree. You know, they have, like you said, they were in the, they are only a one and a half games out of, you know, the second seed, which is if you told most people at the beginning of the year, Wizards would be second seed, you sort of say, well, really? I don't know. Um, so I think that Scott Brooks definitely deserves a lot of, a lot of credit. And I think that he's definitely going to be the one taking home. I know, although, you know, you can make an argument for, you know, D'Antoni in Houston as well. I had to hide it between those two guys, but I think that, I think Scott Brooks is going to take this one. I've got a. Everyone knows who I have. I've got D'Antoni with Scott Brooks a close second, and depending on where they finish, of course. Um, and then I've got Eric Spolstra. If they make the playoffs, is I mean, probably will still votes there. I, I really, if Spolstra and the Heat make the playoffs, the Wizards finish at the second seed, and the Rockets finish with like 58 wins. I don't even know who to give it to. Just I don't know. Flip a coin because all three would be equally deserving. Um, so I, and right now I have D'Antoni and Brooks are is a close second. It's interesting because both, basically both teams and coaches have led you know kind of culture turnarounds. There was a lot of turmoil last year with the Wizards, 41 and 41. Wall and Beal couldn't get along. They you know kind of phased out Randy Whitman. They bring in Brooks, new culture, you know reasonably similar roster. They signed Deion Mahimi and some bench guys who really didn't play well at all, and they traded for Bogdanovich, but reasonably different, you know, same culture, and he got in there and turned them around. A horrible start, and they still got there to the third seed, possibly the second seed. It was incredible. And then D'Antoni comes in with a, a really revamped roster, as is a distinct style of play, and it's worked uh, at an incredible rate. Um, you know, they've already surpassed, comfortably surpassed their Vegas over-under and where most people had them in predictions, so depending on how they finish the season, probably give it to him. And then Spolstra, they were 11-30. and 30, Right. And they're now 33-35. and 35. And they're yeah. about, they might make the playoffs. So Incredible. all three are deserving. I've got D'Antoni one, Brooks two, and Spolstra three, but they're all so close in, this day, in, in the race. It's really incredible. Um, a race that probably isn't going to be close at all, sixth man of the year. Eric Gordon. Um, I think it was I, – I know I came on before and I said Lou Williams, and I think that maybe if Lou Williams had stayed in L.A., he could have, like, stole some votes. But the fact that they traded for him and now he sort of is, like, sort of behind Eric Gordon – 
I guess I think that sort of hampers him. I think that it's going to be Eric, Eric Gordon pretty easily. It's interesting because a lot of people have said that you know now Lou Williams is on that winning team. The big part of six men of the year is coming off the bench for a winning team, and that's why a lot of people gave it to Gordon over Williams. Even though Williams' numbers have been better than Gordon's this year, um, people were like, oh, he has that st- that storyline narrative of being on a winning team and helping contributing to wins. Now that Williams is here, people think that Williams could just get it because he's now on the winning team contributing to winning. His numbers have been better than Gordon recently. Gordon is still struggling overall. Um, and yes, Gordon does enter the game before Williams does, but that's just kind of a schematic thing so that they can run the second unit in the, on the second quarter and third and third quarters differently. Um, but, you know, I would give it to Gordon because I feel like looking at the course of the season, he just is more deserving and fits his narrative of a, kind of a comeback season. He's been really big part of the bench before they got Lou Williams when the bench was okay, and then it's got really good with Lou Williams there. So I think that just because Williams is now on the Rockets on a winning team, just don't give it him the award, even though he's had a great season. I think just looking at the overall course of the season, give it to Eric Gordon for what he's done, you know, contributing to winning for the yeah, whole season. You, you kind of have to because, like, Lou Williams, most of his season was producing for a losing team, and Eric Gordon was producing for a winning team the entire time. So I think that's going to factor into the voters. Yeah, but we, we all know it's coming from Houston. It just depends on which, which one, which player from Houston will get the award. The defensive player of the year, I think, is pretty interesting. Um, you know, I've been in the in the past going for Rudy Gobert, and you know, I, you know, when I talked to uh, Duncan Smith on our last episode, um, I said, you know what, I, I'm fine giving it to uh, Draymond Green, and Duncan basically convinced me to to go to Green, and I, I'm going to stick with Draymond Green basically because of his versatility. The, Go- the Warriors have a better defense than the Utah Jazz, but that's also diff- uh, you know. Uh, resulting from Kevin Durant being a great defender this year, playing next to Green for the majority of the season, and the Jazz having so many injuries to guys like Hill and Favors, who are good defenders. So I got to give credit to Gobert for maintaining a top three defense with those injuries. But Green's versatility makes me lean towards him. I, I'm going to disagree. I think the Kawhi Leonard's going to get this one, and I think that you know you can make it a, a great case for Green, and I think that he's definitely deserving of the award. But I think a lot of it factors in from the fact that I don't think that Kawhi is going to get the MVP, and I think that's going to sort of fact like he's sort of hampered like in a normal year you would say oh wow Kawhi definitely should be MVP but you know you have guys like Harden and Westbrook and that's sort of going to factor into the voters mindsets I think and you know he's an excellent defender um you know individual skilled you know Spurs have a great defensive rating so I think that um Kawhi Leonard is going to get defensive player of the year this year you know it's an interesting case because they have the best defense in the league fairly comfortably um, and they also have those interesting numbers where the Spurs are actually a better defense and with him off the f- floor and, you know, how much do you buy into those numbers and um, things like that. But overall, um, I agree that Kawhi is a, a great defensive player of the year. I'm wondering if there might be a little bit of a voter fatigue, which, you know, often happens with guys like MVP. You don't want to give it to him three years in a row, even though they are great right. defenders. You know, Green, having finished second two years in a row, feel like maybe it's kind of a, a lifetime achievement award kind yeah. of thing where it's like, here, it's your year. Um, and also I think Kawhi could probably finish... Not, if the Spurs win the first seed, I wouldn't be shocked that Kawhi wins MVP. If they finish, even if they finish second, he could probably finish second, and that you know that's kind of enough recognition for him, I guess. But it all comes down to voter fatigue. If people want to reward Draymond Green for finishing second the last p- couple of years and, and now being just as elite this year, or if they want to go with the traditional defensive player of the year, which is usually a big man that anchors a really good right. defense, um, they can go with Gobert. So three really worthy candidates. I think it's going to come down to Green and Gobert mainly because of this idea of voter fatigue and not giving it to Kawhi three years in a row when other guys are, are just as worthy and haven't really won it and received the proper recognition. Uh, an award that I think is a little bit more interesting now, I still think I'm going to go with Giannis for most improved, but I would like to mention that I think Nikola Jokic should really be in the conversation because 
the you know especially if, you, if the Nuggets make the playoffs and the Bucks don't. Not saying that most improved has anything to do with you know playoffs or team standing. It's kind of like rookie of the year, just like how big of a jump have you made regardless of what your team has done. But I think it does show something that you know Jokic has been inserted into the starting lineup. They have the best offense in the league since he's been inserted to the starting lineup, which is incredible. And you know he is an offensive oriented player, so the fact that his skill set is being used at the in the best offense in the league since the new year is, is pretty impressive of him and you know the way he plays is incredible to watch his stats are really incredible since he's been inserted to the starting lineup um, but ultimately I'm going to stick with Giannis he's got that narrative throughout the whole year he's been great his numbers are insane leading them in all categories um, and incredibly fun to watch I'm going to stick with Giannis yeah I'm going to agree I think that the you know, Jokic's story is great, and I think that, you know, if the Nuggets do make the playoffs in the eighth seed, I think that you can make a strong case for him. But I think that in terms of, like, you know, last year Giannis was this very solid player, but this year he's sort of broken out, and, he, you know, he had that, you know, he's that, he was in an all-star game, and, you know, people started, started to recognize him and he become more of, like, a face um, in the NBA. So I think that's going to factor into the most improved player. People are going to buy into that narrative of Giannis sort of becoming like an emerging star and figure in the NBA community. So I think he's definitely going to take that award. Yeah, a lot of these awards, I mean, I think, I think basically all of these awards, besides, I guess, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, kind of have storylines with them. And I think that most improved Giannis kind of built that storyline from the beginning and has just kept it running this year um, and, and you know, hasn't really had a much of a drop-off. And he made the All-Star game, so things like that make him an easy candidate for most improved. And obviously the most interesting award to discuss, probably one that we could do a whole episode on, which maybe I'll have to do later on as we get <laughs> to the end of the season, uh, MVP. Now we all know where you're going, and we, we all know, know where, where I'm going. going, so why don't you talk briefly about why you have your player. <laughs> I, I have Russell Westbrook. Um, listen, I think that you know in th- today's day and age, first of all, uh, averaging a triple-double, which I think I saw somewhere that like 538 predicted he has a 90, over 90% chance of getting uh, averaging a triple-double for the entire season now. Um, I think that averaging a triple-double, when it hasn't been done in almost, what, 50-plus years, 50-plus years, you know, is incredible. Um, you know, people put up freak numbers in the NBA now. You know, you have guys scoring 30 points a game. But I think that when you have a guy like Russell who carries the team – and you know they're in the playoffs, I and mean, obviously they're you know they don't have home court advantage in the playoffs for the first round. But um, I think that without Russell, you would see that this team would not obviously not be a playoff team. Um, and I think that sort of the storyline fits in terms of you know triple double plus the fact that you know Durant left, and like it was sort of Westbrook's team, and he sort of embraced that. Um, and he's you know averaging triple double. I, I can't say averaging triple double enough. I know you're gonna refute that point and the importance of it, but I think that. I mean, today's day and age, it's unheard of, and it's going to play into a lot of the fa- the mindset of a lot of the voters. So I think Russell Westbrook deserves it, and I think that he'll get it because of that sort of mindset and that narrative that goes along. Oh, yes. I must distinguish what I'm going to say. I think that Harden is more deserving, but I think Westbrook will get it, just as you said. It's easy. i got to explain this to a lot of listeners or people. I pointed this out on Twitter. The voters who vote for MVP are more like casual fans than they are NBA Twitter I don't know, not what I call freaks, but really in-depth NBA Twitter users. NBA Twitter users, you know, look at advanced numbers, chart these things out. These people who vote for MVP are casual fans. A lot of the times they're broadcast teams for their teams. So a guy who is, um, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies announcer will have a vote probably. And he won't look at anything but the traditional stats. He'll say Westbrook averaging triple-double and they are in the playoffs. Give it to him. That's why I think Westbrook will win. 
Now, the reason why I don't think he's the most deserving candidate is because I think that there is a, a player in Houston who's having a little bit of a better season with a team who's having a little bit of a better season. Um, and that player, obviously, is James Harden. Um, and, you know, I don't want to dive into it really in depth because uh, people have heard this enough because basically every episode I've, I've done an awards update kind of segment. But, uh, you know, w- one of my favorite writers and some we've had on the show, Kelly Scaletta, this, this morning came out, or yesterday came out with an article uh, talking about how the Houston Rockets have uh, actually this morning basketball reference has listed them as the uh, best offense of all time tied with the Lakers and I think it was 81 or 82 um, and that kind of gives the narrative to Harden who obviously is an offensive oriented player and runs the offense I think there is something to that where you know he's having a season that's so good and the team is the best offense of all time kind of that kind of thing where listen he, he's doing something special you know you got Mike D'Antoni's system there and Harden's executing it perfectly to get the best offense of all time um, obviously the other distinguishing factor is the wins um, you know the Rockets on pace for 57 wins Thunder on pace for 46-ish 40, maybe 47 uh, they're going to win tonight against the Raptors um, you know that, that 10 win difference is significant for me I think you know it might not be as significant for a lot of voters for some voters it will there are a lot of traditional voters who care about wins more than anything and then there are other voters who care about stats more than anything um, I think the wins for me is significant um, because I think that the talent levels between the two players are comparable they have different skill sets Rockets have more shooters on the roster, more offensive-oriented players. But I think the Thunder have similar talent, just more on the defensive end, um, which is what the Thunder do. They use their defense to win games, and the Rockets use their offense to win games. But it comes down to the the Rockets having more wins and Harden's numbers being, um, I think, just as good, um, just not round numbers, you know, 30, 10, and 10. You know, 28, 11, and 8 with more efficiency, I think, is is just equally comparable to the 38, 10, and 10. I think people just love this triple-double culture, especially because ESPN can't seem to shove triple-doubles down my throat enough. I see a triple-double tracker um, on ESPN.com with Westbrook having another one tonight. There's actually a triple-double tracker in ESPN.com in the NBA section. Um, so, you know, if, if triple-doubles weren't enough, if you couldn't get enough of them, don't go to ESPN.com because you'll get too much. That's all I'm going to say. Just the increased efficiency makes Harden's numbers just as good as Westbrook's and the wins. It just comes down to the wins and, uh, you know, more wins for a similar, similar talent level around the two players. Uh, and I want to give shout out to Kawhi Leonard. Of course, LeBron too. Uh, I think I would have, I, I, you know, I think I would have Kawhi and Westbrook tied for two because I think that, especially if the Spurs get the number one seed, I have to, I think I have to improve Kawhi's chances at MVP, especially in the voters' minds because they love having, you know, number one seeds that, historical fact that the MVP hasn't come from a, a team worse than third and it only came from the third seed once when it get, went to Michael freaking Jordan of all time and his team actually had like the second best record in the league and so you know that comes down to it as well but you know you've got four candidates Harden, Westbrook, Leonard and of course LeBron James and honestly any one of them could win um, but I think it's going to come down to Westbrook and Harden because they've had the narrative for the entire season and MVP is one of the biggest narratives uh, one of the awards that ha- includes the narrative as one of the biggest factors overall so I'm going to go with Harden of course as everyone has heard enough and now we're going to move on to our final segment which is it should be brief but also kind of elaborate, elaborating on it um, there are rumors this week that if the Pelicans don't end the season on a positive note that they will most likely fire Alvin Gentry and this brought an interesting thing, you know, uh, a couple months ago, I think um, when I first had Duncan Smith on the show, I said that I would fire Gentry. This was, of course, before they traded for DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I said I would fire Gentry if they missed the playoffs again and, and had 50 losses. And they were on pace at that point for 50 losses. And they still could very well get 50 losses this year, even after trading Cousins. But once they traded for Cousins, I changed my view. I said, keep Dell Dems for a year and let him have a year to build a team around Cousins. And I I was a little bit nice to the Gentry. And I said, you know what? 
let him stay around for a year and let him see if he can coach these guys. I do not think Gentry is a good coach. I think he's one of the worst ones in the league, actually. Um, and so they're four and seven since they got DeMarcus Cousins. Now, no one expected them to just. Well, actually, some people did expect them to just go crazy and, and make the playoffs. I didn't expect that because it's so yeah. hard to add, to add a player of DeMarcus Cousins' talent and usage to a team. Um, then you add in the fact that their perimeter shooting around them is basically like having you and me on the court exactly. shooting threes. They cut Omri Caspi. He's now healthy and would be a great addition to that team. And they cut him already. And Drew Holiday struggled. So they're four and seven since the Cousins trade. Would you fire uh, Gentry if they basically? finished the year from this point on moving 500 if they finished the year not finishing at 500 I'm saying finishing the year 500 with the rest of their games would you I, fire him I, I think so I think they'd fire him I think that you have a lot of ta- too much talent in the, in the form of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins um, and I think that you know the addition of Cousins sort of signals I guess to me that they sort of need a fresh start I need to get rid of Gentry he's not a very good coach they weren't doing phenomenal they weren't doing great with with him before um, the cousins, the cousins trade. So I think that um, you know, and it clearly seem, hasn't worked out the way they had hoped. I guess they're not. They don't even. They're under 500 since the co- trade for cousins. And I, you pointed out a lot of the factors that have sort of contributed to that. Um, but I think that the fact that you know they don't seem to be turning around unless they can sort of prove to the to the management that over the summer they're going to be able to gel the system and sort of like flow i don't know if the the managers are willing to take that risk you know they sort of brought cousins in to make a splash they want to sort of compete it's a signal they want to compete and i don't know if they're going to be content with 50 lost seasons um and not even a 500 record since when they went out and made that big move you know i i think i would fire mainly because i think i have just prior kind of not biased but just prior thoughts that he's not a good coach and I'm I'm not, I'm not going to blame him for this because they're actually their, their four wins or three of them have come without Cousins basically one was when he was suspended one he was subbed out for the fourth quarter and one he fouled out of right that, uh, that is kind of a weird weird telling sign I don't know about what I'm not blaming Cousins but I think that I don't blame all of it on Gentry and I don't I blame some of it on the management already because they didn't have players around them they only had to trade Buddy Heald, Tyreek Evans, and, and the first-round pick, basically, for and Lynx and Galloway, I guess you count that as a piece. Um, for Cousins, they cut Caspi as soon as he got injured. Now he's healthy ahead of schedule. They could have used him down the stretch. Drew Holiday's been poor. They've given out terrible contracts to Solomon Hill, Omar Ashik. These contracts are going to handicap them in the, in, the, in the summer because they have to re-sign Drew Holiday, who's going to get $20 million a year. Right. They've got AD on the big contract. Cousins is not on a huge contract for his you know talent level, but he's up for free agency summer of 2018 which leads me to why I would fire Gentry and that the thing is that they only have one more year of, of surely having cousins before hey there's no guarantee he's staying there exactly so you need to maximize this now there could be a lot you can get coaches from college you can get some unknown guys I think getting a new face especially if one of cousins or AD or someone else tells you that they'd rather have a new face you have to maximize that year with cousins you got to get more shooters around them and get a coach that can implement their own system that is good with the big men to maximize your year with, with DeMarcus Cousins, which is why I would also fire Alvin Gentry, especially if they go worse than 500 down the stretch. And if they finish with 50 losses, forget about it. I'll tell you right now. Cut. Get rid of Gentry as soon as possible. Um, my final question is that, you know, there probably won't be a lot of coach firings this year. Um, and I saw that stat that this is the first year in a long, in probably like 20 plus years that we haven't had a midseason coach firing yet, which is kind of surprising, I guess. Um, but other other coaches that there's two parts of this question: other coaches that should be fired or other coaches that will be fired, because there's a big difference between if they should be and if they will be. 
and I'll, I'll say my example is Chicago Bulls firing Fred Hoiberg, who I don't think should be fired because he's been given the wrong roster every year. He's been there two years. No shooters when he, he does a spread offense kind of uh, system. He hasn't been given the, the right roster to, to implement his system. They've just been saying, here, here are the players. Make the playoffs so we can get more revenue for the Chicago Bulls. It hasn't worked out clearly. Wade's out for the season now, and they're outside of the playoffs looking in. Right. I think he'll be the scapegoat for the management who's been heavily criticized recently, especially with this past offseason. So he's someone who will be fired, I think, that I don't think should be fired because he was never given the right opportunity. Any other candidates you think? I think maybe Rick Carlisle in Dallas. Um, you know, Not saying I don't think he should be fired because I don't really think there's anyone that's proven out there to, hit, to be his caliber that would come in and be able to guide the, the, the Mavs. Um, but I think that, you know, sort of the pressure of Mark Cuban, you know, he always said, remember, he's like, I always want to compete. And he might be a little annoyed that the fact that they they didn't have a, they didn't sort of meet expectations and certainly not his expectations for how this year should have gone. That being said, they did, you know, struggle with, um, you know, injuries and, you know, it's still, you know, he had a, a fairly new roster um, to deal with. So I think that in terms of he might get fired, I think, but I don't think he definitely, I don't think he deserves to be fired at all. Yeah, I wouldn't fire Carlisle at all. Um, I think he could be a selling point for free agents, a, re- a really respected coach, a really great coach for overall. And considering the fact that they had so many injuries and they had such a poor start, I think that where they are in the standings now is actually acceptable. 7-3 and three in their last 10, they're not going to make the playoffs. They've kind of hurt themselves by not having a great draft pick or making the playoffs, so either or, they're kind of stuck in the in the no-man's land. But I think the turnaround has been impressive. Carlisle's a good selling point and heavily respected in, in the Mavericks front office, and I think I would keep him around and... I'm not sure there are any other coaches, really, because a lot of people are on their first contracts or are doing good jobs, so I don't really see any other candidates. Yeah, no, me neither. All right, Alex, we'd like to thank you for joining this episode of the 94 Feet Report. Uh, before you go, you can uh, throw out where people can follow you on Twitter to hear some of your thoughts. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, um, Spyro1495. Um, you know, I have some, some thoughts, mixed thoughts, some commentary on what Eric's doing and some of the podcast stuff. So, yeah, great, great opportunity. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone. I hope you guys have a great weekend of enjoying NBA basketball, and we will be back um, sometime next week with our next episode. Take care, guys.